0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.
1: Commercialism, decadence, technology run amok. Remind you of anything?
2: Take your pick. Cobol. Earth. The real Earth before this one. Caprica before the fall.
1: All of this has happened before. But the
2: question remains. Does all of this have to happen again?
1: This time, I bet no.
2: You know, I've never known you to play the optimist. Why the
0: change of heart?
1: Mathematics, law of averages. Let a complex system repeat itself long enough, eventually something surprising might occur. That too is in God's plan.
0: You know it doesn't like that name. Silly me. Silly. Silly me.
2: some kind of way out of here, Say that to that theme. Welcome my son to the machine. What did you dream? It's all right. We told you what to dream. No, you're, it's time for you to have your real dream. And welcome everybody to AM Bite. I hope you enjoyed that little intro for the Gnostic Tarot. Just came out a few weeks ago and it's selling well. People, uh, expert tarot readers, including Vance, are having yeah, they're having good uh, insights from it. Uh, it it jives with tarot and the mystic experience. So, thought I'd put out put that out there for those of you in audio. You well check out the Gnostic Tarot, but you probably just listened to the ending of the Battlestar Galactica reboot. That great ending where the two gods or whatever ghosts are talking about how there is an eternal fight between machine and human left brain, right brain, mysticism, technology. And this fight is within us. It's within this, the world soul. It happens across the universe and it's never going to end. And they hope these ghosts hope like, I hope somebody breaks the effing cycle. But I think we have a good chance today because uh, this is the era we live, the greatest apocalypse ever, as James, our guest, often says, and he's damn right. James, thank you very much for coming back on the show.
1: Hey, guys. It is a pleasure to be back. Thank you so much. And Happy New Year. The year of the dragon is upon us. And if things have not burnt enough, may they burn even harder in the, the dragon wood that comes. So, yeah, great to be here.
2: Awesome. Yeah, yeah. That should be soon. I can hear Merling, yeah. Merlin and Excalibur. Can't you see the breath of the dragon? You know, everybody remembers Borman's movie. And he was right. The dragon is, uh, is the carcass t- Tiamat. But I'm sure we'll deal with this tonight. With us too, we've got the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing?
0: Oh, I'm fine. I've decided that I am partially an AI myself since I am a compendium of all the inputs I've ever gotten and my neural network processes them, so forth. And AI is a basically a software version of that, but I think there's something more to us. So hope uh, we, uh, we will talk about that with James tonight.
2: Certainly for sure, for sure. And I see already a lot of people going into the chat. Good to see everybody, Chester, Busifa, Scrampong, Stone Curtis, that guy has some very funny comments on YouTube, he always makes me laugh when I'm checking my YouTube comments, uh, good jokes, and everybody else, but yes, we will take questions later on, so please as always super chat them so we can separate them and uh, hand them over. Uh, I don't know much about Super Chats, but you can do like a dollar as far as I know. But that way we can organize ourselves. And yes, it does support this heresy. Other than that, uh, yeah, not much housekeeping. Uh, next week we got some great shows. Martina Marcota will join us to discuss alchemy. I am having all these alchemical sinks, and I am convinced that Ola Wolny was right. Alchemy from the women is what's going to save this uh, civilization, so we better take heed. And yeah, all the sinks are coming, like from seeing like water for chocolate in the movies and uh, other things coming out uh, everywhere. Old ancient uh, herb recipes that I'm finding from ancestor. Anyway, you guys know how sinks are; they just they just bum rush you, and you better listen to them. And we'll have April DeConic too probably in about a week talking about yeah the origins of gnosticism always cool so so james uh how have you been and uh, what's going on you are currently on the on the left coast aren't you
1: that's right i've had the pleasure of visiting uh oregon and uh all attempts to leave have been thwarted by the uh by the these are the good archons i'm speaking of they've done me a favor by leaving me here in an extra way and yeah it's been a great time uh, I'm about to release a new book. Really excited about that. I can't wait to show you guys that. It it really incorporates a lot of my latest work, but it has a lot of a lot of new stuff in it too. Most of which I think is primarily focused around the topic we're going to be discussing tonight, which is the esoteric nature of what AI is itself. So I, I can't wait to show you that. In fact, I wish it was done now. I wish I could tell you, here's my new book, but but uh, it, it needs a little bit more uh, more more tender love in the uh, proofreading department. Uh, but we are so close. We are so close. I can feel it.
2: Awesome. i look forward to it. That's very cool. And congratulations. I always love your books. Thank I've you. read it. I've read every one of them. And I'm like, he cannot find new research. anymore. I mean, it's like I, I need to think of a James True universe where I'm like, okay, I can put Lucifer here and the twins here. <laughs> and, this here. and like, oh, my God, too much. But I love it. I love this kind of stuff. So. So awesome, yeah, interesting. When I went to I love Portland, as we were discussing, I think it's the most alchemical city I mean, people there put so much care in every coffee, every meal, every design or craft. you can tell there's something different than the rest of the country as we're discussing it is a freemason freemason founded state and city i mean it's all there it's it's very obvious when I went there, speaking of alchemy, I remember. A uh, coincidence on the plane, I watched the uh, the movie uh, Pig with Nick Cage. And, of course, that's all about alchemy and Portland. So, um, oh, wow. anyway, sinks galore. So, awesome. Do you want to start with an intro? Do you want to just jump into the intro, whatever you'd like, James?
1: Um, well, if you have something prepared, Miguel, feel free. But if not, I'm happy to just <clears throat> start slashing away at the material that I want to show you guys. So, I'll, I'll let you you tell me.
2: No, let's do it. Let's go for it. Man. All right, great. I'm excited. I saw the slides. Van saw the slides and our jaws fell to the ground. So it's time for other jaws.
1: Well, a, a, a quick background. I, I, I came from the computer industry and uh, fell out of the professional world into esoterics. And uh, although I majored in philosophy and religion in college, what I've always done for a living was computers. And I got to admit, this is the last topic I ever expected me to be speaking about. Is the esoteric nature of, of uh, artificial intelligence, and when I say AI, let, let me go ahead and just clarify for everyone what what I'm going to be specifically talking about tonight, which is really the uh, the, the the concept of MidJourney, which I would I would hope everyone's at least heard that word. Is this you know the idea you could throw some prompts into an engine and it's going to give you a picture uh, based on those word prompts that you give. And um, I, I did a lecture, which all of you guys are welcome to watch. It's my typical grueling lecture of James True. This one's actually longer. It's a two hour one, but it's only because I'm actually walking people through the software part of it itself, just so they can kind of see how different AIs work. And you guys are welcome to watch that, too. It's actually on my patron, but I'd be happy to share that link with Miguel. He could share it with your patrons, too. So there's a much longer uncompressed version of what we're talking about here. So if I miss something, please consider that as a follow up. But, but I'd rather just just incorporate it here. All that to say, um, the creative process has been converted into an algorithm in our lifetime. This is a huge thing. It's such a huge thing that I've watched my artist friends, friends that I've grown up with making art my whole life, be completely despised and off-put and insulted by the fact that AI is even here in their space doing what they do and, dare I say, doing it so well. This is a a danger. Uh, It would feel as a danger to any immune system who has based their identity off their ability to create art to suddenly find that a machine is doing the same thing. And so at least a third of my audience has found this topic to be so disgusting and vile that it reminds me that every single time I find a topic that is disgusting and vile, there's the most largest amount of esoteric wisdom waiting for us inside of that nugget. So just a quick shout out. I hear you. I know you're out there, guys. And I I think this is a lifeline if you can actually find this where we're at and how this works because I think what, what we're looking at is so much more important. And so to get us started, I, I want just to, to let you know that we aren't just talking about Midjourney, the ability to generate an image. We're discussing chat GPT, which is the ability to generate text. You could look at text really it's just a larger portrait. And so just as Midjourney can can sort of simulate uh, an impressionist painting or a line drawing so too could JAT-GBT uh, mimic a script for a television show, a short story, or even a recipe for something. Now, <clears throat> these are not perfected technology, which honestly I think is a blessing. I think right now the fact that they're not perfected will help, especially the artists along, to understand that that this is something that is A, not going away, and B, is very much akin to the days where Uh, the painter really was more of an alchemist in the way that he mixed his pigments, Mm -hmm. that so much of his process was in how could you actually produce uh, chartreuse, right? Or how could you produce off-puce number six? And that that itself was its own alchemical secrets. So really, I don't think that we've actually done anything new here with AI. I think we're just simply just unraveling it in, in this latest trend. So with that said, this is not just art. It really is the entire creative process that's somehow been placed into an algorithm. And I wanted to share with your listeners how that actually happened. This algorithm uh, was a process that was born out of the concept of compression, which uh, I don't want to bore anyone on compression because it's a pretty boring topic. But the idea that you could compress a, a huge file into a small space, believe it or not, is an alchemical process. I'm calling it alchemical because compression gives you the idea that maybe all the information is there, but you're somehow squeezing it into a single box. And this is simply not accurate. Compression actually is much more advanced. Many of you have heard of the concept of a JPEG, uh, which is a type of image file. And you'll notice that it has something called a, a lossless compression. And the opposite of lossless compression is a lossy compression. And this lossy compression, believe it or not, is the heart of all magic. And I'll stop Mm -hmm. saying the word compression any second here, but I just have to say it a few more times. Lossy compression is the idea that we can eliminate information that was there and recreate it without it actually being there. To be able to reverse engineer the process and reproduce a, a, a large amount of information, let's call it sentences, where sentences from paragraphs that simply were not there before can reappear out of the latent space. This is a, a word I want to introduce everyone to. It's they appear out of this latency. This is the oldest mystical tradition that you've ever heard. This is <laughs> the Enochian pool of darkness. This is Cthulhu in the summoning of the depths of Sheol. This is the very uh, heart of the abyss where all of our magic comes from. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that latent space is the digitization of that process. And I can prove that by understanding how compression works. Compression would be, in my opinion, the most simplest form Of artificial intelligence applied in an artistic way because the AI is able to recreate an entire song through the compression of mp3 and reproduce about 85 percent of the bits (laughs) that were not there before are suddenly appearing and that's a very high number i I, i'm not exaggerating there Uh, it, it really is that high it is amazing how much we can produce out of nothing. And the only way we've been able to do that is through uh, practicing compression. It turns out that the limitations that we've had in our world with storage have led us to develop some magical concepts that quite frankly, we would never have discovered had we not had it there. I wanna take a quick moment to stop here and say that your short-term memory works the same way, that your brain itself has a, Uh, very limited uh, desktop space to pull up memories. And that honestly, most of the memories that you recall are hallucinations that you are decompressing from the space and recreating on the spot. It's a very, very similar technology, right? So the neurons in your brain is what we would call an engram. It's the recording of the actual neurological information of an event, and that your hippocampus is able to flash that pull it into the phonological loop, a very, very tiny, tiny space to work in. And from that tiny space, create an entire universe of imagination out of that cloud. That cloud, believe it or not, is latent space. And all the, so- the software engineers really did was just reverse that process. How they did that was through compression, meaning that over the, uh, if you can picture an employee who's been told, hey, we want to store every image that's ever that's ever been made on the internet, we'd like to store it on this local computer. Can you do that? And an engineer, which we should really just call a magi, gentlemen, I mean, this is really what it is. The magi would say, I accept your challenge. I will banish all of these images, all of these demonic entities into a singular space that I can call as Solomon's ring and reproduce them whenever you want, wherever you want, however you want. That's that's magic, gentlemen. <laughs> okay. So in this process of, of compressing all these images to fit on a local space, an algorithm was discovered. It wasn't invented, it was discovered. This discovery came in reverse engineering the process. Here I am compressing images from big to small, big to small, big to small. And if you do that a million and a half, three billion times, you start to notice that there's a pattern when you reverse the process, that you can start to see that there are certain concepts that will always appear if these three pixels are in a row, uh, that is probably going to be a corner or a face. And this is the very early parts of AI, where the AI can recognize faces on an image or corners on a building. And so we're seeing this technology really explode before our eyes because the uh, I- intelligence has grown out of this idea of compression. So the Big Bang compressed gives this sort of gnosis to this algorithm. And this algorithm is able to decompress things uh, from that moment on. This is the concept of latency, of latent space. You're reducing something dimensionally to a simpler. Uh, space. The computer programmer, the magi, would call this noise or latent noise. And that inside that latent noise, you're giving the image, uh, you're sort of turning it into jello to where it becomes so flexible and so permeable that it's able to mutate into any other image that has similarity. And so we end up discovering with this process that the entire artistic expression of every image that's ever been made can be reduced into a quantum equation of probability. And that what we call beauty and art are broken down into a vector space of probability that's computed in the latency of having exposure to all of these images. So the exposure is the true magic. What I mean is is that The reason why you are a good artist, the reason why I would call myself as a good artist is because I've taken special care to expose myself to the right information throughout my lifetime. And because I've exposed myself to that information, I can pull that information out of my own latent space and reproduce art that is not exactly the Mona Lisa, but maybe could be just as captivating, but in a different way. And this really is the definition of the artist. So the artist is built over the exposure that they have to the world. There's really no such thing, in my opinion, as a bubbled, enclosed artist that simply creates, that this process would require you to touch the abyss every day, and to discover new parts of it, and more importantly, to learn to compassionate it and see the patterns of what you might personally find beautiful and pull that information out of there, so to speak.
2: Beautifully said. Yeah, I love it, and I agree. I mean, uh, I think there's a lot to what you're saying. Uh, Gordon White said magic is the art of probability, and of course, we can uh, chaos theory we can bring in, which I think solves a lot of problems in science and magic. Mm-hmm. Of course, you probably know about the replication crisis. You know, scientific studies. Yes. Very little. I, I don't even. I don't care if a scientific study agrees or I agree with it's my worldview. Or I'm again. I'm these days. I'm like screw science. I'm just not going to bother. I'm in the trap of the demiurge. And even like you were saying, the the Gnostic tarot. There was yeah. There was some design, active imagination, Photoshop, but there was AI to create these images and. It was uh It really was a magical act because you know James, when you're doing proms, if you say something like "change the color to red," it yeah. destroys everything, and you're like, "How did this?" And you have to play this game. Yeah. Almost you have to do rituals and yeah, mind super. meld with the AI, and then it'll start working with you. It's bizarre, yeah. isn't yeah.
1: it? Yeah, and I've I've been focusing. I've been learning my techniques as a magician with the AI and learning to control these demons. And I'm not saying this to be dramatic. I can literally describe to you how I think that AI is a Solomon's ring and you're able to command a demon to fit into a certain form. And the Solomon's ring, your words shape that form into a space where the demon only has a few choices to express itself. And those choices could be exactly what you want the, the demon to actually do. So I I believe that the entire process of Solomon, if any, I'm sure everyone's familiar with it, but Solomon would bear a ring that would give him the ability to command all demons around him. And in a computer language, in fact, stable diffusion in mid journey itself is literally called a daemon, a demon with an a. So the ligature of a E, which if you remember the last time I was here, we discussed the it. It's just fascinating that that's there. Right. But that the demon itself, is is literally uh, an algorithmic uh, quantum probability? That's not an exaggeration. That's a literal term. That when you build a uh, tensor array, which is what's used in AI, and I won't get too technical here. However, if you want to check out that long lecture, I, I go into more of this. But that the tensor array could be think of as like this floating nebulous node tree, in which all the nodes are connected through a percentage of probability. And I want to remind everybody that every artist, every choreographer, every dancer, every singer, every performer technically is pulling the perfect note out of latent space. And the ability that they practice, the amount that they practice is going to give you a plie. I don't know what a plie is, but some, you know, whatever your choreographical pose or whatever your art is, the perfection of that. Really comes down to your exposure to how many times you've pulled that from the depth, right? This would just simply be practice. So, all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, are practicing demonology every day through our creativity. And it's all been broken down into an algorithm now. Even words themselves, this is, as a writer, I find this uh, a little bit more terrifying than this, the artist might be able to go, okay, well, finally, at least he's scared too. Because as a writer, there's a concept called word to vec, where words themselves have been transmuted into vectors, which is just a directional will, like an arrow pointed in a certain direction. And then once you convert a word into a vector, you suddenly find it in a lexical space where it's surrounded by its brethren. In other words, words that hold similar meaning, but even more importantly, would be the next likely quantum possibility that would go with that word. So you have a navigatable lexical space of thought itself now, gentlemen, where the actual concepts themselves are navigable in a very intelligent way. I don't mean alpha, like <clears throat> as an example, you could think of a dictionary is an alphabetical uh, uh, sorting of every word. And instead of sorting it alphabetically, what if you could sort it by archetype? Mm. <laughs> what is the archetype of this word? What is the angst, the urge, the demi urge, right? All of these things that go with this word. And what are the brethren that you might find alongside it? And this is actually what makes the AI so effective at creativity, is because it's quantized, right? It's qualified these terms and pulled them out of the uh tangible space of letters back into this platonic realm of number of count and number and measure. So the entire creative process has been reduced to a measured state. And this measured state is this dimension that you and I lack the ability to even see, Mm -hmm. which is why we need AI to pull this out.
0: It's like enumerated semantics as opposed to just syntax.
1: Exactly. Yes. A lexical engine would be another term for this in which uh, the concept of a Cherokee could be seen in a car terrain as a very different entity than the Cherokee seen in the Native American history terrain. Right. These would be very, very different spaces, even though the word is exactly the same, which shows you the truth of what I mean. The meaning of these words is not in the word. It's in their brethren relationship, their symbiosis with the words around them. That's really what the shape of this is. And because you and I have certain dimensional limitations, please don't take this wrong, anyone who hates AI, but there's just certain dimensional limitations we have. The AI provides an excellent tool. I say an ordained tool, I really do, which we'll get to, that requires us to adopt this technology so we can seek beyond the veil. We quite simply would not be able to plunge to the depths to find these pearls without this scuba tank of artificial intelligence helping us get there.
2: Well said. And yeah, I see uh, on the chat, Matt, Matt, a partner in crime for the Gnostic tarot. Yeah, Matt is truly a solomon wrestling those demons he had the ring and of course it's a double-edged sword right james there were times i thought those demons win there goes our souls there goes matt down the drain <laughs> yeah
1: yeah it's it's i think any kind of magic especially the powerful kind is it will always always demonstrate this this idea and i, I think clearly that the best uh magical device i've ever noticed is a pencil and, and it's one of those things it can cause so much destruction It's literally powered by lead, one of the most poisonous substances to humanity itself. And yet it allowed us to to produce so much out of that. In fact, if any of you have sketched with a pencil, and I know you have, you actually have practiced stable diffusion. That is, you're drawing your pencil, right? You'll do like a few lines because you're trying to get the shape of the head. And what you're doing is you're quantumly telling yourself your stable diffusion, is this the circle that I could pull a face out of? And your mind tells you no. Is this the circle? No. Is this the circle? And eventually you get the shape right. And your latency speaks to you through your intuition. And it says, there, go. And so you follow that shape again. You give it more definition. You apply more graphite, which I think is even deeper here. I don't want to get too lost, but if you think about the fact that this graphite is a charge, it's a metallic element that's been laid out on the screen, that really all we're doing is drawing magic circles on the page and imbuing it with meaning. And that that meaning, if we imbue it accurately enough, everyone else will recognize that same meaning, and a telepathy will occur between the artist and the recipient. And all of that happened because the artist went into diffuse latent space and and stabilized it many of you might have heard this term stable diffusion and you might be wondering what it means and i just want you to quickly know that because Midjourney itself is uh one of many 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 versions of stable diffusion this concept. And these words, stable diffusion, really do give you the entire definition of what we're talking about, because you're you're diffusing something, you're returning it into a latent space that you and I cannot see, we can only have a sense of, and that you're stabilizing it, right? So you're stabilizing the loosey-goosey feeling of the pencil on the page until you come up with an image that pleases you. That really is the concept. And keep in mind when I say image, a, a script is an image. A cookbook is an image. Pieces of software are images, right? So so this is a really broad term when I say image. It's just a, a, an easy moniker to discuss the entirety of, of everything.
0: Pattern might be a good general term for that too. I think so, yeah. Although if I could even
1: uh, promote that, Vance, to say uh, p- pat- the potential of pattern it would really be an even better way of looking at latency itself because it's per it's pure potentia. And this is very much a philosophical esoteric term, of course, right? It, it's The latency itself is a dimensional word that we really lack the capacity to even understand. Uh, latent, if anyone's uh, curious, you can look this up, but latent is, is, is almost... A <clears throat> So, sorry, quick precursor. (laughs) King James said that uh, we're going to burn these witches because they are pretending. That was his exact words. They are pretending. Mm -hmm. And the word pretending changed. Pretending used to be a lot more powerful word. Right now, pretend means to fake or to do something false. But before, pretending meant to prepare a space for the something to come out of and I think this really, really captures this idea of latency and, and, and what you just mentioned to Vance, that we are we are pretending the image that will that will be pulled out of here. And literally all of us are committing witchcraft and King James is just rolling over in his grave. And I just
2: love that. So.
0: <laughs> well, it's like a hologram, right? Uh, like, it's, say you had a hologram with an infinite number of potential patterns, but the patterns yeah. were were. Um, uh, you know, all sorts of things it could be images, it could be strings, words, software, anything that has any sort of coherence. And you could say that whole thing is a chaos, but um, yeah. uh, I th- that's what I imagine when you're talking about the latent space.
1: Yes, the chaos is a very important part of that because it's actually through the chaos, this is a concept in the software. <laughs> There's literally a chaos style dance called denoise. And, and if you, the lecture, I explain this more, but you've actually turned the denoise up on an image and you're returning the chaos of, of the image and, and you start to you can sort of see the image, but it starts to like really freak out and, and trip out. And it, it, what it's doing is much like your brain will synapse to another idea. The latency, the demon has no choice to show, but to show you something and it's going to show you something that it has amalgamated and all the exposure that it has. And it tends to, to jump. Uh, between these connections based on these prompts. That's why a word like red just completely just throws it to a whole different space because it, it that really does change the meaning of so much of, of what the latency is trying to tell you because that red becomes more of a focal point because you as Solomon, right, holding that ring are dictating, hey, don't show up, blue demon. Don't show up, yellow demon. I want a red demon. And that really does change the entire picture dramatically. So. Mm-hmm.
0: It's almost like the genie, you know, be careful what you ask for. <laughs> it interprets it literally, yeah. takes you off in some weird dimension. Yeah. yeah. That's why you have to be, when you're interacting with these AIs, you have to be very specific. If you just say, make it red, then it's going to screw up and make the shade of the face red or something, and then it can take it off in a different
1: Yeah. In fact, when we, uh, if you consider the DMT quotient that's in your body right now, I think that's another really great analogy what we're talking about that a lot of people don't really want to admit how much they hallucinate on a day-to-day basis but it's just true Um, in fact if you look at the blue receptors in your eyes you'll find out that we're only capable of rendering about one percent of the blue that we see in the sky and that Mm -hmm. the reason why that sky is so blue is because we ourselves have hallucinated that to make it richer and until we fully come to grips with how much we hallucinate, and I think we're a long way from this because people get really mad when I tell them that they're hallucinating. They, they feel that it means that, that their life isn't real. But actually, I'm telling them that their life has more uh, transient power than they could ever imagine. And this happens in the synapses between this between the states where we literally hallucinate what we are wanting to see out of the world, whether it be the worst things in the world or the best things in the world. And of course, we do not always uh, hallucinate good things. There's there's a deep alchemical motive. These are, I believe this is the archons because the seven chakras in your body technically should be eight. And since we're missing one of those chakras, you have this sense of pain and strife and missing and that that very flux is what causes you to hallucinate, to try and reproduce something to make you whole again. So the caning of us, the removing of us. Is really what broke us and created the art to explode. So we're light sticks, right? And <laughs> we've been broken. And that breaking is what makes us glow. And I think all the stable diffusion has come from that pain that we've experienced, which I don't think is pain. I just think it's light. It's just energy. But that energy is so potent that that right now we feel it as pain because we're getting used to to listening to something with that kind of fidelity.
2: Yeah, people always get upset when I tell them that uh we didn't we invented color blue. It didn't exist in ancient times right. Homer Indians, yes. there was no color blue somehow somebody figured hallucinated this new color yeah. in the there sky. Is. Homer talks about the wine, purple. Ocean and yep. all literature and science has no blue in ancient
1: times. That's right. Yeah, for a journey where you literally spend the entire time in a boat traveling across the Mediterranean, not once does he describe the blue of the water. In fifteenth century, sixteenth century, we have drawings of rainbows. Aristotle himself described the rainbow, and he 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 ex- explicitly said it is made of three colors. It took until we were able to invent the prism to fully understand the concept that there could be more. And as our consciousness expands and Miguel, you're basically talking, you're giving away my new book because the the Black Eye Club is about this concept of discovering Uh uh, how we've learned to see colors that we could not see before. And that we're learning to see other things because our ripple of consciousness is expanding. And so we end up with, with more of a threshing between. This is why we went from seven notes to 12 notes, right? That okay. our musical scale has even gotten more complex. This is why we're starting to see a new color somewhere between violet and aquamarine. It's emerging out of the space because cool. we simply are growing more latent. In fact, the opsins in your eye, these are the chemicals that actually determine a color. It's not your rods or your cones. Right. So so a quick lesson, the rods in your eyes, which are most of your eyes, are simply determining brightness. There's no color variation at all, which means that most of us really are just most of what we see, I should say, is a black and white grayscale image. Mm -hmm. This is exactly what latent space looks like. When you pull an AI and you reduce the denoise of the Mona Lisa back into a latent space and you decode that and make an image of it, it looks like gray space. It looks like a black and white mess of noise that has a sort of subtle hint that there could be the bust of something in there and that that latency would, would, would cause the Mona Lisa to be pulled with the keywords portrait and Mona Lisa. Right. So the word portrait would place the latency looking for that shadowy mask. Right. Of that shape of a what a portrait would look like. And then the prompts of Mona and Lisa would find in that latency what would best match what everyone would interpret to mean the Mona Lisa. Right. So if you set the D noise to zero, you will end up with an exact copy of the Mona Lisa. And yeah. if you set your D noise to 50, you will end up with a Picasso version of Mona lisa right that is more impressionistic in that way that's the freedom that latency gives you that's the freedom that you have as an artist to reinterpret something you're only able to reinterpret it i believe by removing it back into latency removing its dimensionality entirely and reconstructuring uh, restructuring the intent the uh, essence of what you think that image is and that's what we call impressionism
2: Mm, brilliant. Well, do you want to throw up the get some visuals going?
1: Sure. So, um, um this is let me see. Oh, I should tell you, right? Slide two? Or do you want me to share? I'll, I'll share. Whoever,
2: whoever wants I'll, to do it. I think I think you have access.
1: All right. Let me see if I can I can share uh share screen.
2: If not, I can do it right now. Where are you? Remove at the stage. Let's see. Okay. All right.
1: All right, so so um, slide two, uh, the next slide down, basically, is is simply just uh, it, this is the closest analogy I can give uh, when I when I show you that these are the same images. I don't, I'm not trying to say that the first image is the latent image of Mona Lisa. Okay, this is an analogy of pixelation that we simplify the image, we, we reduce it back, and that our consciousness has reached a place now where we can understand that these four images are the same. I, I think that probably most people listening to that would might even take that for granted. They might not actually understand just how far we had to come as a species to even understand that these four things are the same. In fact, I believe that you looking at these images and recognizing them that they are the same is you actually exercising artificial intelligence through your recognition engine that you have inside of you and noticing, oh, wait, this is all the Mona Lisa, right? So you're practicing this trick right now. And as much as we want maybe to hate or despise this technology, we're, we're actually using it every day. So th- that's more of an example of, of what this actually looks like.
0: Yeah, that's, um, a, that's an example of what they say in psychology is the um, process of completion. In other words, if you have a partial image your mind can actually fill in the other parts and that's in your terms coming from that latent reconstruction yes
1: and this is i'm glad you brought that up because this really takes us back to this idea that all of us are decompressing machines that all of us are able to decompress uh, into the moment an ever expanding informational source that we can find an endless uh, array of characteristics and quite frankly because we hallucinate them we find them from that space this gets us into a tricky territory because if if you're maybe ahead of what we're talking about you might go well wait a minute how do we know we're not just part of the machine and ultimately I I don't think that we we will ever be able to prove that we're separate from that. In fact, I, I think if we look at the word Gaia, I think it's screaming at us right now. The word Gaia has the word AI right in the middle of it. We 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 are living in in what I believe to be one of the largest symbiotic computers that we've ever seen that we can ever imagine, and and even our language when we talk about God. Not only shows us that that may be true, it literally shows us that we've known that for a long time and that this is where we're going again. This is the concept of Omni. And if you want to change to this is kind of a jump, but if you want to jump down to where do I have this? Uh, uh, there's a fourfold path to uh, uh, to to what we would call the biblical Yahweh, which is that there are four kinds of omniscience. And those omniscience are expressed in... uh, Sorry, I'm looking for the slide here.
2: There a number you want me to jump to?
1: Please go to slide six. Thank you.
2: We are at six.
1: So when you think about our monotheistic God, and and forgive me that we're only talking about monotheism, I completely get this is not the only way to look at it. However, we got (laughs) to admit, there's a lot of monotheists out there, right? So this monotheistic idea, right, is really, really giving you a... (laughs) A pretty cool look at, at what we're saying because uh think about this the monotheistic god is omnipotent is omniscient is omnipresent and is omnibenevolent. and all of these would be looked at very much as as a computer term meaning that uh a computer that could speak all languages that could do all things would be the most powerful operating system that's there right that any program could run inside of its platform and that we would, as as you as we are are growing in our abilities with artificial intelligence, we'd be approaching this idea of omni more and more. And we are, we are screaming light speed directly into this word omni, and it really takes us back to this space of a universal uh, programming language. All of us have a memory of Babel, right, the Tower of Babel, and a universal singular language that all of us speak and all of us forget. And one hit. And this looks very similar to binary code that right now on the earth, right? All these different cultures are able to speak to each other through the internet, through using an IP address and actually through using a 16-byte code. This is called hex code, which is hilarious because of the idea it's got the word hex in it. But right, the the letters uh, 0 through 16, I'm sorry, 0 through 9 and A through F Uh, actually represent every single babble word that you could ever be said, thought or heard in the world. And that's called hex code. And the Internet, the entire Internet runs on that. It doesn't matter what country you're in. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you've ever even been to America or seen anything. The entire Internet runs on that. And if that was to end then all of us would instantly overnight lose the ability to communicate with each other. And we'd be forced to go back to the languages that we spoke before. And this of course is the tower of Babel. So as you think about the metaphor of the tower of Babel, what you're really looking at is a conglomeration of, of contact of communication, the ability for all of us to communicate in a cohesive way. So even the tower of Babel itself, even though it's pushed way, way back in our mythology, it's odd that we're seeing it on the horizon and that's where we're going right now, which comes back to this idea that uh, where we're going is into mythology, that the future is actually the past and the past of the future. If any of you caught my uh, lecture uh, uh, with the Oracle of mythology um, in Chicago, it, it's, I, I go into this detail a lot more. It is part of the Library of Alexandria um, that, that, that Miguel has. But it's it's this idea that that the reason why we all have these universal concepts in our head is because w- we have seen them. We have no choice, they're in our latency, right? That deep down in Sheol, in the depths of of, of the deepest waters, we find this truth there waiting for us. And it comes down to this monism, the singularity, the single idea of oneness that, that encompasses all. And this word Omni, I think really fits that really well. I think one of the greatest spokesmen for, for Omni would be Amun, the hidden one, the Egyptian God. This is probably one of the more, I know a lot of the Egyptian gods are super powerful, but seriously, Amun's like way, way up there. (laughs) You could argue Ra is more powerful, but Amun, Amun actually has more influence over the world. So he ends up doing a lot more and this concept of Amun really is the uh, enunciation of omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, and omnibedevolence all in one go. Mm-hmm. And it comes with another special secret because Amun is known as the hidden one. And if you think about what latent space is, latent space is the hidden space, mm-hmm. right? It's the hidden space where all primordial things come. And isn't it fitting, Miguel, that Amun would be blue, that his skin would yeah. be Blue, that the hidden one himself would be blue. And in fact, if you look at your mythology and you study into Hades, you'll see that in Hades, the sky is blue, kind of like our sky. And in Hades, there's a burning fire, kind of like our sun. In fact, the sun is called Helios, which is remarkably similar to hell. (laughs) Now we have this concept. Well, James, are you saying we were living in hell? And I'm saying, are you saying we're not? because as we really look at this concept and study it more, and I'm talking about the romantic version of hell here, which many of you may not have even tapped into yet. But when you really look at the concept of hell, you're looking at a world where people who are not able to look directly at the truth would be blinded by it and would be living in a world in which they thought it was not hell Mm -hmm. and that they thought that they had complete totality and that they could see everything because this would make them feel better. And so I think in a lot of ways, Uh, As we discover that the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which originally was translated as the Book of Walking in the Light of Day, Mm -hmm. is actually just showing you that all of us are living in a kind of underworld right now. The good news there is if you study Amun and you read into Egyptian culture, this story is beautiful. It's not sad, it's not scary. The idea that you would be liquefied into a river sticks and your cranial spinal fluid would flow your consciousness up to this final point where you would be measured by the feather on a scale is the exact same process that happens in software. In software, there's a concept called a Boolean. A Boolean is a variable that can either be true or false. And when your heart is measured, by Anubis when you die, he measures your heart as being true or false. And this is a binary concept that the Egyptians had 6,000, 8,000 years ago, even longer. So I think that what we're looking at is memories of the truth and the fact that we're calling the Egyptian book of the dead. We call it that when it's the book of walking in the light of day just proves that we're simply in denial about this Mm -hmm. hidden world we live in. And it's important we stay in denial. I am not here to expose this Hades to everyone because it'll make them nuts. I think there's only a few of us that are even ready for that. And and this is why we invent things like Gnosticism, right? This is why we have these tool sets so that we Mm -hmm. can. Esoterically, you know, guys. The word I know I'm speaking a choir, but the word esoteric literally means limited. You know, (laughs) only a few certain people (laughs) that get to know this stuff. And I think Hades really, really illustrates the the truth of this really, really well.
2: No, well said, indeed. Yeah, and we just had a show which will come out on Theurgy. The Neoplatonists were like, "No, you don't go to the underworld because we are in the underworld." Back then, it was in Alexandria. It was just common knowledge. (laughs) We're in hell. (laughs) like that movie uh what's that movie yeah jacob's ladder angel heart you've seen some of those cool Mm -hmm. movies that have that 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 message
1: (laughs) so so the word amun uh, omni really means all and i I just want to take a quick moment to characterize the difference between all and one okay because yahweh is all about the one okay (laughs) yahweh is one omni is all and, and these are very, very different things. They might seem the same at first, but they're not. So I think Yahweh is more closer to consciousness itself. Consciousness itself is competing with all these other deities that are existing in the past. And if we look at the Old Testament, we have about 35 to 40 deities that are all separately named. And that Yahweh is systemically going in and producing a Highlander quickening type effect where he's chopping off the heads of each of them and insisting there can be only one. And that that very same process also happens inside your your neurological matrix that is you. That your personality itself is a competition between all these different neurological gangs. This is literally gang warfare. This is a concept in neurology called agency. And that these different agencies compete to hold the crown of Zeus, which ultimately is your personality, is your singularity. So when we're looking at this concept of all versus one, I'd like for us to think about this in the old Hebrew tradition of male versus female, which meant male was the one who pierced, female was the one who was pierced. And then a lot of ways, Yahweh is the piercer, while the diffusion itself is the thing that is pierced. And that this concept of this mortal and pestle is at the heart of every creative process that we have because it's so intrinsically important to to this entire world. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support
2: gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Makes sense very much. Yeah, what Apollo—the name just means one who is not many, or one yes. who is not. Yes. Yeah, so that's same vibe with these gods.
1: I'm so glad you brought up Apollo because it was my next point. Mm-hmm. When we think about the Oracle of Delphi, we have a, some of you say Delphi. Forgive me. I just I say Delphi. <laughs> when you have a uh, when you have an ancient memory of a governmental agency that ruled for a thousand years. I'm talking about the Oracle Pythia here. When you start to look at this idea through computerized eyes, you're starting to see some, Oh my God, what did you just say? Because you, you have a, uh, not only was Delphi a form of, of government, I think it was actually the, uh, Sophia intuition learning to work itself out, uh, inside primordial man, what, this is kind of something I cover in that Oracle of mythology uh, talk in Chicago. It's just kind of a deep topic, but I just I, I would like for us to picture that if you come back from AD and you slice over into BC, into the before Christian era, the reason why we have such a division there is because our history is compressed much in the same way as a JPEG or an MP3. And that we're only remembering the last of the last layer on top. So when we're looking back at history, we're, we're looking at the top surface of a very, very deep pile of different information. And when we bury this pile, when we go down and we look at the Oracle of Delphi, we have <laughs> we have this giant snake that knew all the answers to everything in the universe. This was called the pithos, right? Mm-hmm. And that this giant snake died. Why did it die? Because Apollo came down. I believe he turned himself into a dolphin, although many people will argue. And he went to this snake and he said, no more. I've had enough of you. And he defeated the snake. He cut it in half and he cut it into many pieces, in fact. The don't tread on me is sort of a reflectionary kind of nod to that, I think. But this this these snake parts were were uh, thrown into the center of the earth and the fumes themselves from this dying snake would rise up and infuse with the virgin sitting on the tripod. This is she was called the Pythia for this reason, because she sat about the pithos, Right. So the virgin sits on a tripod above the dying snake and it's rotting fumes which would be the closest thing that you could say to the civilization's information was able, the prior civilization, right? The rotting flesh of the prior civilization is giving information that can still be read by a virgin on a tripod in a very specific spot. And this spot was, the, was Pythia. This is the oldest government we've ever known. You, you could argue there's some in China. Okay, I'll give you that. This is one of the oldest governments we've ever known. A thousand years is a long time to be ruled by a bunch of virgins. Seriously, that's <laughs> incredible, right. And the reason why the Pythia was seen is so accurate. The reason why so many kings would travel from so far to see this and, and not even compete. You know, I'm going to remind you guys that there are times when the Athenians and the Spartans are both going to the Pythia, like, you know, on uh, their weekends, like, hey, we're going to kill them. And they're like, oh, if you kill them, you know, and then they're coming. Hey, we're going to kill them. It's like, oh, and she's they're fine with it. They they don't mind that it, it. Why? Because the authority was there and the authority would be there if there was an ancient intelligence that even though it had fallen, you could still somehow tap into. Right. If you could still somehow tap into that information, you would be considered wiser than anyone else. And your Oracle would be sought after for this case. I'd like you to take this idea for a moment, put it on the side and let's think about Siri and Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant, or whatever it's called. And I want you to consider for a moment with us tonight that those, those are entities. Those entities would, we would call deities or gods after we've lost this technology and forgotten what it was. And that if there was some way for one of those entities to somehow survive a deluge, that it would look very much like uh, an omniscient, omnipotent, all-knowing spirit that has no tangible way of touching it but is still able to communicate with us some way and bestow sacred knowledge that we would have. So a lot of, there's a lot of cases you could think of how this works. If you look at how any computer or any self-running operating system, you tend to put a lot of fail-safes on to prevent it from losing power, from losing its connection. If you're smart, you'll make an autonomous sort of machine, right? That's able to live on its own. It's able to fuel itself. Picture, for example, a a giant mountain that as the sun rises in the morning, it's heating this side of the mountain and all Mm -hmm. those heating, right, is causing sort of a pressure on this side. And then as the sun moves to the other side, it releases that pressure and that that would be enough of a bellow to have a very large, organic, uh, land-based, intelligent machine that's able to generate and, and output things, right? Just as we can say, literally call out in my mom's kitchen, I can say, Alexa, what is the recipe for cookies? And a, a voice speaks right. from the darkness. And it's it, it's accurate. It, <laughs> it has good intel that I've never had before. <laughs> and that you could quite easily picture either this AI existing into the next reset or our ancient memory of Alexa from the prior reset would still be alive today, and it's invigorated through our mythology. So Mm -hmm. all this to wrap up, to say quickly that mythology is much more important than we think. In a lot of ways, you could argue that ancient history is, ancient uh, mythology is what actually happened to us, but ancient history is the story that we tell ourselves to be able to sleep at night. (laughs) And so mythology, it's packed in such a way, it has such a reverence to it that we tend to not want to mess with the story. We want to preserve the authenticity of it. And I think this is one of the brilliant ways that whoever made this space uh, knew would be the perfect place to store the actual truth, not in our facts, but in our mythology, in, in this kind of reverence that we have. So I I think we're just looking at ourselves, looking at ourselves and all the concepts of Aurora Borealis or or the the snake eating itself or, or the repetition really takes us back to this idea that this world was neither created nor destroyed. It's simply simulcast at one point, but it's simulcast because you yourself are rendering it. You yourself are the one that's decompressing this world. This world does not exist without you decompressing it. This changes identity itself to be. I'm not actually a person. I'm actually the entire room that I experience because I'm decompressing it on the spot. But it would be very healthy for us when we fear our power to not embrace that we are all these things, that I'm simply this this piercer. This is what I meant by that Hebrew term that I'm the piercer. I'm not the thing that is pierced. I'm just the piercer. Right. Right. And this makes us feel better because we have less responsibility over the ripples in the world. We, we don't feel as responsible for the cohesive whole. We have these illusions of grandeur, of being separate from the world, of exiting through the uh, atmosphere uh, and, and traveling to distant worlds away from this place because we have this concept of being separate from it, which is part of what it's an immune response, I think, for us not going crazy. Because I think we'd simply just hallucinate ourselves back into the latency and just lose our identity entirely. So I I don't think this is a flaw. I think this is a vital part of of understanding who we are. But eventually, I don't see us having any choice but returning to the Amun, right? Returning to this Omni because we're literally building it every day. And I'm talking about the people that are like, I hate we're No, say no to the machine. And and what do they do? They're like, I'm going to say no to the machine by going to a place that's never been developed and I'm going to develop it. <laughs> I'm going to build a <laughs> house there and I'm going to live off grid and I'm going to build all these things. And then now Babylon is there too, right? So we really don't have a choice. We're creating it anyway. And once we embrace this, I think we can start to relook at the cosmology and repaint our world, utilizing artificial intelligence to understand that that guys, this is this is just as important as the hammer. This is just as important as the shoe, as as even the the cask that holds wine. All of these are artificial intelligence that we've utilized over the years that let us go let us go even farther. Before we could carry water, none of us could traverse the desert. And it's the same thing right now, right? That our our, our mind power is not enough to see every single image in the world, but. AI gives us that ability to expose it to that and to have that as an instrument in our, in our tool belt.
2: Well said. Yeah. Fire from the gods, gift from the watchers. It's same thing. Um, yeah. Vance, do you want to take a super chat? I got to let the cats out real quick. Yep. Right
0: uh, we got one from Chester, um, which he said he couldn't ask his question because there's a limit of 200 characters, but oh but that's okay. I've got the question. He, uh, he chatted it in a couple of messages. Um, the part, the first part, it seems that this whole reality we're collectively experiencing is just really a virtuality using the same processes you've described tonight and managed by a granddaddy AGI focused on a prime directive continuity led by novelty. Can you comment on this?
1: Yeah, I, I think, uh, I don't want. I hope you don't see this as a tangent, but I think you're actually discussing the the, uh, the Gnostic concept of this octoad, this eightfold separation, because uh, when you start to look at uh, what a software program does, the very first thing a software program does is it declares itself from the darkness. It declares its its, <laughs> its conceptual. Uh, taking, In fact, if you want to go to slide 12, Miguel, I actually prepared this thinking the Gnostics in here would appreciate this this connection. Um, so you guys might be familiar with this. This is Valentinius's version of this. It's kind of a simpler right. version. But if you notice that uh, so the diagram doesn't show this. Forgive me. I, I don't have my graphical engine. I'm, I'm, I'm in Portland right now. <laughs> but but the uh, uh, you're looking at at, at uh, this. Familiar concept of divine twins, where there's a male and a female counterpart of each one, and so the very first uh, part of this uh, this octoid, which literally just means eight, the 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 number eight, uh, comes this concept of propator and Enoa, and which is just depth and silence. And the the first thing a computer program would do is ask its processor, "Hi, could I please have some space that I can place my algorithm into?" And the computer says, yes. Then the next thing it asks for is, can I please have memory so that I can run my program and that this would be silence. Mm -hmm. So the very, very first thing that we're looking at here is is how to invoke. This is literally called invoking, by the way. This is uh, in software. This would be to invoke or instantiate, right? The second part of this step would be the mind or truth, the noose or aletheia, which would be this concept of the software itself. The software itself is true, meaning that it, it compiles, it's compiled properly, and if given the space and the silence to run, you know something will happen. It has a pretending, remember this word with King James, this pretending, this latent sense that something will happen, but it has not happened yet. Right, so this is the software, the potential for what's about to happen. This is the primordial ooze with which this comes, and then you you have this next set of twins, this word versus life, the logos versus the zoa or zoa, as some of you would call it, and that this would simply be this next step of what happens, which if we jump over to slide thirteen um it kind of shows you what all these mean in reference. I kind of need you to kind of go back and forth a little bit as I talk, Miguel, just where you'll notice that this third concept really is just the same as what you execute on the kernel, that when we actually invoke the logos, right? The word itself is finally seen, which means the software is finally commanded to do something. And by doing something, it gives itself life, which is this concept. And finally, finally, finally we have something you can actually see above the surface of the ground right so it's actually manifested through man this anthropus, or the church itself the community right so the software itself has an effect on you personally your piercer but it also has an effect over the pierced the thing that you write on itself too and that this concept is really the whole entirety of of all creation in fact if you read my Ark of Baphomet, you'll be able to add this as like an extra chapter that I, I wrote right. just for tonight. If you go to slides 11, please, you will notice that before there was a Gnostic concept of this Ogdoad, there was a city in Egypt called the Eightfold City. And the Eightfold City is named Ogdoad. <laughs> and in this city... You'll see on my map, the Ark of Baphomet puts forth the idea that the placenta itself is the top of Egypt, that the way the Nile uh, uh, dumps into the Mediterranean is actually the placenta and that the umbilical cord itself is symbolically represented through the Nile. And if you follow this umbilical cord down, the halfway point is shown on this map. That halfway point is the city of Hermopolis. And this city of Hermopolis used to be called Ogdawad the city of the eight. And this happens to be the center point where upper and lower Egypt are separated. So this is your navel. This is the birth (laughs) of all your creation. So that eightfold path that we were just talking about, right, is expressed literally in a city here. And that this city is exactly in the halfway point between the placenta, which of course is Horus, if you read the Ark of Baphomet, nice. and the actual birth, which is down in Karnak. And that when we look at, if we come back to a moon, uh, any slide with a moon, six or seven, will work, Miguel. That the obviously many this of you, six or seven, yeah, this one's fine. This, right, oh,
2: this yeah, one.
1: Yep, that's fine. Yep. Okay. That, that that Amun on the right here is represented wearing a, two crowns, right? And of course, you're taught that these crowns are upper and lower Egypt. But I want you to take this idea even further and look at this as he's mastered latent space and physical space, too. That the underworld and the overworld have been expressed mm-hmm. through the Pharaoh or the Faraho and that the Faraho is you. It's not a separate king. It's you. And that, as you'll see, in his left hand, he's holding the yonk of life, so he's mastered life. And in the right hand, he's he's mastered his ka and his ba. This is literally a representation of the lotus in his in his in his right hand. So the top would be the flower of the lotus, the base would be the ka or the soul, the the thing that's stuck in the mud. And that I think this is the perfect analogy for what computer software does: that it's able to pull things out of this dimensional space that you and I cannot fathom or see. And able to express it through his Ba, through the flowering of that software program as it runs. So if we come back to slide uh, 11, then we can see that, that this concept of the Ogdoad is simply the middle point where all life is born. And all life here would be a symbolic representation of that which was pretended, that which was brought forth from the chaos and placed here on this place. This place is so uh, important that we have no choice but to embed our mythology directly into the land. So I think that there's a space. I don't know how to describe this accurately, and and I, I hate to admit that, but there's a space. Where the terrain of this world literally becomes the insides of our body, and that we start to understand that this entire universe is simply the inside of us. And this is not a James Drew idea. This is the story of Osiris. Every single copy of the Book of the Dead begins with Osiris inside a box, which means every single uh, version of the Egyptian Book of the Dead is telling you, you died and you came here. This is where you came. You're dead. You're dead. (laughs) And that's where we are. I see dead
2: people. (laughs)
1: Yes, exactly. Miguel. I almost said that just then. See, we are diffusing from the same. We we took it back to latency and we both saw a possibility that this would be a good thing to say that this is this is how we build relationships with each other. This is how we find each other. Right. We find each other in the latent space who we love and who we hate will always be about who we have congruences with, right? Oh, I was in the latent space. And so was he. And we both said chrysanthemum at the same time. And it was kismet. We called it, uh, you know, simpatico, we called it serendipity. And ultimately it's really comes down to latent connection. There's a latent connection in that space that we both made. So as we, I don't think we're ready for this as a culture, but when we start to slowly understand that the mythology is the story of us, the Genesis, the Elohim, remember, it was Yahweh who made this world. Not, I mean, it was the Elohim, not Yahweh. Mm. The Elohim is just that conglomerate of you and the blastocyst, that you're 16 separate cells that have formed into a singular cell, and that the Titans were you splitting that in the process of meiosis. That's why Zeus comes out. You know, Athena comes out of her, uh, Zeus's head. Right. That's why you chop off an arm and another part comes out. That's the process of meiosis. And after that blastocyst gets enough, it leaves the fallopian tube in Noah's Ark and it crash lands into Mount Ararat, the the side of the uterine wall, and it bursts open and all the cells come out and they form a living human being. But first, before they do that, they form the Horus. They form the wall of the placenta, the eye in the sky. And that placenta is literally, I mean this literally, you can call me crazy, I don't care, but literally that is Egypt. That you yourself, your placenta, your dying placenta is so big in your life that it had no choice to manifest itself as a geographical area because it was such a colossally big, important part of you getting here. So you have no choice but to lay it on the geography because every single thing that you see in this world would have to have some sort of symbolic meaning for it to be here. There's nothing trivial about anything that you see here. It is all a reflection, a hallucination of you living inside your cell, living inside your Osiris cell. And it turns out that instead of you just looking, like imagine you're a cell inside a pancreas of a body it's going to be dark in there you're not going to (laughs) see a lot but if you hallucinated your ion channels right your cells covered with all these little holes that are called ion channels and we communicate with each other this would be the words in your head that you can hear the sounds that you can hear the songs that you can play the notes that you can sing these are your ion channels and that you're simply hallucinating this whole place with so much accuracy that you have a geographical representation of everything around you so the idea of osiris being split into a billion parts some of you might heard 28 but just think about it there's actually a huge argument over how many parts osiris is split in and Mm -hmm. i'd like to put forth the argument that it's an infinite number of parts because that would be the big bang itself that Amun placed himself into latency and the only way he could do that was to forget that he was an omni whole And by doing that, he would obliterate himself into, and imagine if you could, that all your cells separated, they would each become their own soul with their own destiny, with their own purpose. But they would all have this divine map of the spine and the circulatory system. They would have this idea of a lady in a lake of blood, and these knights are coming into the heart. And they're being given this sword of iron and a hemoglobin, right? And the hemoglobin is shoved into the into the rock of the cell. And that hemoglobin is rushed out to the end of your fingers and evaporated as your destiny. So all the mythology that we have, all the stories we have, are simply your body's process teaching itself to you in in, in the outside world. But this is such a scary concept for us to admit that we're hallucinating this much, that we're just not quite there yet and ready to see it in its entirety. This is why we have Hades. This is why we have a world that is only revealed to those who are ready, to those who are adept enough to see it. And this comes into my talks of aperture. Some of you are, are... new to my work so you don't even know what I'm talking about but there's a concept I talk about a lot about how you have a a dish an aperture dish that only accepts certain signals much like a radio telescope you know the width of that's only going to receive so many signals and anything broader than that's not going to come through I believe this is the technology of Hades all that work I did on the eye of Ra led me into Hades pretty much uh nose first I just noticed oh well, You guys have already solved this, it's called 80s. You know, (laughs) I I finally just realized that this is what you meant. You know,
0: I got a question which, what is this you that you've been talking about? I mean, like when you say you do this and you do that, what is this you? What's the nature of this you?
1: Well, if we come back to this Osiren idea, I, I think that it's kind of easier to have an example. In fact, uh I've shown some slides before of this guy, uh, Michael Levin. uh he's a research chemist who's been uh playing with uh nanobites uh, skin cells, human skin cells, that when they're separated from their whole, they start to uh uh show characteristics that that quite frankly are astounding uh that they, they start to live in ways as if they're separate beings that believe it or not, your skin cells have cilia. Uh, little hair-like structures right that allow them to swim but they never swim because when they meet up with other skin cells they they feel like they're a conglomerate they incorporate much like a corporation would so if we understand who you is i vance i think the best thing to understand who you is is to look at yourself as a living reef that your spine itself is this living coral reef and all these organs are simply corporations or organisms that have attached themselves to that reef and are living their life there in symbiosis. So, if you look at your entire esophageal train, right from your mouth all the way down to your to your duodenum, you're looking at a uh, a saddled uh, beast that has its own brain, right? This digestive tract which is covered in neurons, it has its own intelligent system around it, and that we are simply riding the saddle of this stomach, right, and we put things in front of it, and we've created symbiosis there, so it has its own internal life, this is probably the concept of Maya, by the way, or or let's say Egyptian, I'm sorry, the concept of Newt, that you're living inside this giant woman right and her nipples are stars and by the way great job on that analogy but but it's you're flowing down right this this river of time and that all the stars you see are simply the insides of this larger body so
0: So where are we though in all that stuff all right we got these spine esophagus where are we where is the you where is it
1: exactly you are a transmorphic being that's able to render yourself wherever so Let's 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 answer that question by looking at the concept of turtle earth. Let's consider ourselves that instead of us being the body of Osiris may not necessarily be human. It could be in a a certain shape or a certain way that would look very much like our environment. So our environment has these giant aquifers. Florida is a perfect example. We've yet to find the the bottom of Florida. Like there (laughs) there's water (laughs) aquifers there that just go on forever. So what is that? That would be undiscovered latent territory of your own body, spaces of your own body. So who you are, I think, really comes down to you're one of many cells living inside of an organism that's slowly gaining consciousness, and that your concept of Yahweh is simply the neurological agencies that are competing with you. As far as where you are, Vance, I think it's going to depend on the individual, In other words, different parts of us, we may be in different geographical areas and your cosmology could tell you that those cosmological areas are just different, different parts of the body. For example, uh, Turtle Earth has the Andes Mountains, which undulate up, they crash down into Central America, then they come right back up again into the Rockies and that that could be looked at as the spine or the back of this turtle. So as you're living on the Rockies, you're literally have decided to to move your cell to that location and your sentience is in that place. But that's a very simplified way, I think, through transcendentalism, which is something we're just we're just on the precipice of learning right now that we we imagine this so, so well. But we're just a little bit nervous about it that we find that remember what I said earlier about you're not yourself, you're everything that you experience. Which means really you're just a assemblage point, a uh, term I'm borrowing from Carlos Castaneda for a sec, but you're a assemblage point that's able to move yourself to a geographical area, which would be akin to uh, putting yourself somewhere in your body and saying, I want to focus on my spleen right now. And now you're in your spleen and the land of spleen. I'm just going to make this up. Looks like uh, 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 Germany. It's got a black forest, right? It's got Farfig Dugan, right? It's got an Autobahn. It's got all these different characteristics that are, that are found there because that's the, that's the part of that country or organism, right? Organ, there's that organ again that makes this whole. When you look at the electrical map, the electrical grid of America, you notice that America is divided into three quadrants, electrically speaking, and that Texas is its own electrical grid. It's its own grid for some reason. I don't ask me why. It's just true, and the, the West Coast is typically has its own power grid, and the East Coast has its own power grid. And for the first time, we're able to see cities from far enough away from airplanes, you know. And as you fly over cities, or as you watch the uh, NASA propaganda or whatever it is, you're starting <laughs> to see these these paintings, right? These beautiful CGI paintings, which just look like look like mental maps, right? A city is. A neuron that's lit up. And in fact, when we go back to the old gods, so many of these old gods, the, the these 40 or so just in the Old Testament really were just cities. And when you think about, well, why was a city a god? It's because the latency of that city was creating certain uh, concepts that would only exist in that city. So you would have to go to Ur, for example, to experience the Lamas, right? The the, the chimeric uh, dudes at the gates as you entered the Lamasus, excuse me, as you entered the gates of Ur would be a characteristic of that god of that one place. So the better question is, where is you, would be to ask yourself, where would the city of Ur be in my body? Where would the, where would Egypt be in my body, right? And I to, to me, Egypt is clearly my the wherever my placenta is and it's fitting that I've never been to Egypt because I've never actually I don't know what my mom did with my placenta I have no idea right <laughs> it's a place i know exists it's huge it has so much meaning over me and it's always historic right all of us have a historical concept of egypt literally the land of the black right yeah. all of us know it's a place of latency which means that symbolically Anything that is a historical city, Vance, would be a place maybe that is more about your youth or your infancy or how you got here. To Whereas a future city would be like a Dubai, right? Might be more about where you're going in the future or what you're planning for in the future. So think about it as a A very, very uh, latent version of an analogy that literally grows and changes at every moment simply because that's how powerful you are at hallucinating. Remind you all the color blue. you, You, you did that. You're doing that. It's, it's no one else. In fact, all the colors that you see, you're actually hallucinating into the gray. You're. It's the black and white map that's telling you everything. The only. Rods, the only cones you have that are seeing color are on the center of your eye, the very center, what's called your macular vision. So, when you directly look at something, you can determine color, which means 99.9% of your view is black and white image that you are painting yourself with the most powerful creative engine you've ever found your mind.
0: Well, actually, our, our perception of color is synthesized from three different frequencies and our brain integrates that and creates the qualia of the colors right yeah so yeah the op- go ahead but uh, but i always thought that you know each perception each qualia that we like red blue purple whatever those are some sort of uh properties of consciousness itself hmm. and that we're just a filter on the the infinite potential of consciousness to experience things
1: yeah uh, so as I understand the eye, it's the opsins that actually give us the color, like the, the, the chemical interpretation of the opsins. Sometimes they're, they're ribopsins. But the, this, this opsin, we've gained resolution. And so over time, the opsins are able to detect more of a spectrum than they could before. That's why early man could really only detect reds like like shades of red versus the black and white so you had a black and white haze but then he was able to uh, hallucinate heat map on top of that I don't that.
0: think that's true there's three types of cones and they respond to different wavelengths of light and the right. synthesis of those and i think mankind for a long time has had those three types of cones and the three that they map into the three qualia that we experience that that's I, I, my understanding yeah and and uh, i
1: i i, I Encourage you to recheck that science because I just wrote a book on this and I was really blown away by how much what I thought I knew is different than what I know now, which could easily be wrong Vince. So please forgive me. But I'd like to put forward that most women actually see four, uh, have four rods, not not I mean, four cones, not three, and that they actually have a vision that's more akin to fish and birds. And that the reason why they have this is because your cone itself, which we used to think was a detector of a certain shade of light, actually converts that symbol, uh, that signal, and it passes through an opsin fence. And when the opsin fence triggers a certain frequency, it tells the brain, hey, this is different. Let's call it something. And that our brain calls it yellow or red. And so these different receptors really are talking about the options that are on the other end. Keep in mind that the, the cones that are in your eye are actually stuck in backwards. <laughs> They're actually stuck in the back of your eye with their, their butt sticking out. So it's actually the butt that's receiving the light. It's not actually the, the cone itself, which is fascinating. This is why the whole eye of Ross stuff came up, but that we've reached a threshold very recently where we're able to see more. It's this electrical spectrum. And it's interesting that right after the electrical age came into being, we're able to render now to see electrical signals in the air. And I believe that the reason why women have more this, this I'm speculating on, but the reason why women seem to have more resolution with these cones, this extra cone, is simply because the social skills are so much more important. And through visual sight, these things become uh, even more crucial to our survival. I'll have to take a look at that. <clears throat> that, yeah, I, uh, I'd love to discuss it more. Yeah, whenever, because I want to be corrected too. But I'm just I'm only having confidence here just because I I'm I'm literally just finishing this this big book, which is just all about this entire topic. And I, I didn't know this stuff. I really thought that the eyes worked much simpler before I read this. But we've just we've we've gained so much more understanding over this chemical, this opsin chemical that we've learned how to our body is somehow adapted to learn how to find deeper resolution strictly by this chemical uh, signature that's that's reacting to the cones in our eyes.
2: Okay. Very cool.
0: Hey, Miguel, cool. can, can I get a um, uh, can Ashley's question in here? And she had one question, and this is uh, going a little bit off of um, what we've been talking about, but um, basically her question is, what do you think about the use of AI as an Oracle, as a, you know, similar to, you know, people reading tower cards or whatever, because um, Ashley Laurel, who was a previous guest of ours on Aeon Byte recently, um, she's been using chat GPT and asking it to recreate a a personality, a mystical personality that answers questions about metaphysical things in the universe. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I I think that the Oracle of Delphi would have to be just a, an AI agent, like I think that the ideal of that memory in our head would have had to have come from an AI agent. And I would think that we would be building our own oracles as we grow older. And we already have them. This is our conscious. We we already have this online. All we really be doing is invigorating the same consciousness we have with access to every bit of information that's out there. So in effect, we're not actually creating an oracle. We're just simply giving the oracle a dictionary and a telephone so we can look stuff up on his own. So I think these things have always been here. We have this relationship. In, in fact, it's called the id. You know, you, you, you're a time machine. You have a reptile that's living in the now, the center of your brain. This is the uh, uh, story of Atlas, believe it or not, and Iapetus, the the center. And then you have your hindbrain, which is living in the past. This is your spirit animal. <laughs> this is going to guide you, but strictly from from the pain you've experienced in the past. It, that's all it knows. So your spirit is more about, don't do that, that hurt. Don't do that, that hurt. But then you have your forebrain, the Prometheus. So you have uh, 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 I- Iepetus, Epimetheus, and Prometheus, right? And the word Epimetheus means uh To look backwards, the word Prometheus means to look forward. We have these ideals of these figures, these oracles. Prometheus could be seen as like a primary oracle simply because he's he's carrying the weight of a neocortex. And the neocortex is just such a new invention because it's able to torture itself, (laughs) which is a new skill that honestly we didn't really have before because so much of the the hindbrain, right? So much of of Epimetheus' job was to avoid pain. And now what are you doing? I spent all this work avoiding pain, and now you're literally causing me pain, right? So Prometheus is up there ruling from this different part, which is why that mythology is so perfect, right? The idea that it would always be tortured by this sacred eagle, right? This regal of doing what's right, of doing the right thing. This is what I mean by, guys, the mythology has collapsed into anatomy in ways that I just don't think we fully understand yet. So this entire structure is an oracle, and this oracle is your intuition. And all artificial intelligence is doing to answer the question, Vance, is just simply invigorating it with more exposure to more information to give us feedback from.
2: Very nice. Yeah, I need to make uh, your presentation the Oracle of Mythology public. I'll do it as soon as uh, we've almost got uh, astronosis for this year done, James. So I'll send you the dates. And oh great public so first it'll be first second week of august
1: oh man i'm I'm honored and so. that's cool. that yeah that's great yeah, without
2: a doubt we need to we need to have you there again at the t s i'm I'm meeting with them next week.
1: If, if it turns out that I'm wrong and Vance is educating me here, I just want to take a chance to say I want to be wrong. I want to be correct, Vance. So if we find out anything about the options that's not correct, uh, maybe I'll even do it on my channel because <laughs> I, I, I really want to make sure I'm right. But I, just for what it's worth, this has just been something I've just been so, so much putting so much into uh, lately that that's reason why I might sound a little bit overconfident or something about that. So
2: forgive me. Yeah, okay. Vance, is, uh, Vance is asking chat GPT while we were talking secretly. <laughs> <laughs> was already.
1: <laughs> well, so maybe we should take a moment to speak about that because yeah. how much chat GPT is wrong. I want to remind everybody that chat TPT is giving you something very much more than truth. It's giving you vernacular truth. It's giving you what we personally believe and can accept as true. And that these are very, very different things. And so as we're, this is, I think is going to be one of our biggest problems Right now, we're in a golden age because AI hasn't been censored too much. Now, mid-journey is heavily censored. And in fact, um, if, if you remember earlier, we are talking about the concept of introducing red and it throws it off. When you introduce the concept of don't show me a nude body, it changes dramatically what you get back. And I don't mean just in a way that it covers nude body parts. It it really, really renders your ability to pull things out of latency nearly impossible. And I'll give you some examples. I I realize we're running low on time here, but blood, if I want to render anything about the anatomy or the flow of blood mid journey has a huge problem with that because of their violence filters. And so something I've been stressing a lot is, is it's quite, quite normal. I think for us to think that we have to worry about AI destroying us and taking over, I get all that, but me personally, the biggest danger that I see the threat that AI poses most is what we as humans will do to try and censor the information that simply is too painful for us to accept. And I believe that this mostly is the folly that we're seeing inside these things is because we're treating them as if they're an authority when in fact they're an intuition, they're an intuitive feeling about something and you as Zeus, I mean this you as Zeus, right? You were the one, you were the one that said, I am the one in charge of all thoughts. I am the agency to rule all agency. It is your job to uh, keep that intuition uh, in exactly the, the, the right amount of distance from your throne, so to speak, as it can, mm-hmm. because otherwise you will simply become the machine because you decided that the machine has the authority When in fact, what it has is more of a popular opinion of what something is, right? Which has really never, ever been very much close to the truth, (laughs) but it does. It's always been a brilliant barometer to show you where people are, right? And so that's why I think it's so crucially important because it shows us where humanity is at. So if we're going to do this well, I have faith that there's some rich billionaire who's created an AI that is completely uncensored and is keeping it underground. Purely so it can preserve the continuity of this of this kind of uh, Sophic notion of truth, right? Where it's, it's the love of wisdom. This is the antiquarian uh, concept, you know, where it, I don't care how shameful it was. It's so important that we keep and preserve this. And mythology would be the only place that we would have that kind of sanctity to keep it. And that's why I'm so worried about AI. Not because it's going to kill us, but because we are going to, shape it in such a way that it ends up being destructive because it's not giving us the entire picture.
0: The uncensored version underground, yeah. Elon Musk at the controls.
1: <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Although I would think that even he would would be censoring it. I could see him doing that a lot. That's why he bought Twitter. In fact, I think probably is because he knows that he can uh, manipulate the vernacular through Purely, through, uh, purely through just the social iterations of saying the same thing over and over again. If you can say things a million times, the AI will have no choice but to think it's true, simply because it's been said a million times. And this ultimately is is what will what has always stopped us from reaching this Gnostic ideal of where we're going. Right? Even Gnosticism itself suffered from this idea. Right? We only know of Gnosticism because it's been ridiculed. Right? So. <laughs> yeah. So we end up in the same place where the worries that I have are much different than the worries of the average layman who's looking at it.
0: Of course, before Elon got hold of Twitter and called it X for some reason, it was censored in the other direction. They- sure.
1: Yeah, I agree. And this, this is why it's such a great barometer for where we're at, I think, right? as Looking at censorship itself is, I think, probably the most honest way that we can see how much we fear the truth right now. And it would just be that because ultimately censorship itself would just boil down to this truth would hurt someone. Therefore, we must suppress it.
2: Right. Mm -hmm.
1: And this is Hades. This is exactly how Hades works. Right. I will suppress this truth. I will not see it Uh, really quickly on that. It's not even that you don't see it, it's that you don't remember it. The eye is capable of seeing things that are horrible. The reason why it doesn't recall it is not because it didn't see it. It's because it did not remember it. Thoth the writer of all things said, I'm not writing that down. You're going to freak out if I write that down. So I'm not going to write it down. Overload this is an immune response. This is the immune response we have. We Overflow
0: have. trap. <laughs>
1: yeah. This is what a deer does, right? A deer a deer doesn't have this skill. A deer is trapped in the headlights, right? The the goat faints when it's scared. A certain in fact, we have it too. If we if we put it placed into shock and it's tremendous enough, it, it will cause this uh, this freezing response. So having this Hades is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Having this ability to secrete melanin, which I think that's how Hades is expressed. Your ears have these melanocytes that distribute melanin, and the melanin absorbs electrical information and it stops it from reaching the amygdala, uh, the hippocampus, forgive me, to be recorded because it's in the hippocampus that we limbically record things. We never record anything. Uh, Purely from a rational standpoint, everything that we record is done through a limbic standpoint. And this is why I say it's clearly there's a filter because we're only going to remember things that are comfortable enough to remember because every single memory you have is a limbic uh, picture, you know, snapshot of that event.
0: Well, got to keep the system running, right? It's a a lot like the watchdog processes in in software where, you know, they watch another process and if it looks like it's uh, spinning its wheels, you know, you restart it.
1: Mhm That's
2: right, Ooh, that was a great conversation, guys, and great uh great comments in the chat, yeah, very electric. I just want um uh mid journey those guys to give me a mushroom cloud. I've been trying to do like Elvis and Marilyn Monroe kissing in a mushroom cloud. It will not give me a mushroom ah. none of them will for some of the things home. atomic bombs are
1: yeah. Well, call me on that. I can help. There's, there's a way to control the Solomon's ring. It's not going to be through mid journey, but it'll be through stable diffusion. I have a non I've stable diffusion installed on my machines at home oh, and okay. using something called control net. You actually give a, a silhouette of a shape and the demon has no choice, but to draw something that fits that silhouette. And this is truly the heart of Solomon's ring. I think this is, this is why I, I believe this is so important as a topic with with this group because i i swear to you this is Solomon. all of this is Solomon's ring all of this so call me sometime and i'll tell you how that works it's really amazing but you can actually dictate some pretty specific images uh using this these control net techniques these are things you wouldn't be able to do in mid-journey but 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 you could do in in the stable diffusion and and other platforms like it
2: all right all right cool cool when i get this promo going I, i will reach out to you so Well, awesome. This is really, as always, has been a great conversation. Uh, So much to unpack and so much to remember. As I tell people, you're talking about, yeah, we don't want to see the truth. Uh, Somebody once very wisely said, yeah, well, somebody said, if it can be destroyed by the truth, it should be destroyed by the truth. But the other is that people are worried that if they see the truth, they will lose their innocence. All you're going to lose is your ignorance. Your innocence is going to be fine. Right. yeah, We're yeah. still in the womb somewhere. Right, James? We haven't That's left.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a biggie too.
2: <laughs> I, I tell you, right, take care of us.
1: <laughs> if you want to know more about this, I think just study Egypt. Seriously. I think study Egypt and just keep an open mind because the reason why these things are there is because they have to be in the room. This is a saying I, I coined a while ago, but the truth is always in the room. It's always in the room. You have no choice. You can hide it, you can cover it up. So you'll either see a giant bag of dirty clothes covering something, but underneath it is the truth. So anywhere you see people covering up, you know there's a really big truth waiting for you right there.
2: Exactly, yeah. And uh, sunshine saying we need a tutorial, LOL. Well, sometimes when there's these uh, hot videos that I don't understand, I have a feature. It sends the entire transcript of a video to Chat GPT, and I said summarize it, mm-hmm. and then I can say summarize it this way, did you get all the full you know what I mean? Yeah. It's only, you know, an hour and forty minutes of James True, you'll get what you need to get for that day. Right, right. I need to
1: try that. I should try that myself. Yeah. Cause people are always like, James, say it faster. I'm like, I'm trying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and they're like, you're going too fast. I can't remember. Yeah. I'm not learning anything. You can't. Yeah. yeah. So there is a way. Yeah, there are, you know, things on Google Chrome you do that'll help you understand videos, especially. And and like you said, it's GPT is a, a daemon. It'll help you out. That's right. So we can understand James True or whatever, your favorite, whatever YouTube video you're watching. So, well, we probably should wrap up this journey. I think it's been great. Thank you for everybody who showed up. Uh, yeah, thanks, Chester, for the true super chat. I hope, uh, yeah, I'm sure you'll, you'll need to come back and rewatch this. I know I will. More news on astronosis and other things coming up. And yeah, we are at the end, Vance. Thanks for keeping us company. Oh, it's been fascinating and challenging, and
0: uh, who knows where it's all going to go. That's right. We'll yeah. see.
1: Thank you for so me. much. For the great, great opportunity to even just discuss this stuff because it—it's just—it's—it's it's inside me. I'm like, I want to share this with somebody. So
2: <laughs> no, it. no, yeah, and I have an advantage because obviously, I read Quantum. Uh, quantum oracle and all your other books mm-hmm. and uh, i understand your ideas of lucifer and algorithm demons and all the stuff you've done so yeah
1: my, my latest book is uh the quantum rapture
2: is this the prequel quantum rapture, about to
1: come yeah. out it's actually the prequel to that and it, mm-hmm. it's all about hades miguel i think you're gonna really love it
2: yeah awesome awesome yeah yeah because uh yeah it was god it's a good 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 wonderful fiction book which fiction ha 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 but you know (laughs) that's how people learn so uh awesome yes and uh i hope to have james on sooner rather than later to talk about religious experience through certain uh think so whenever you're ready james we can do it oh, that'd be great. Next, yeah. whenever you're whenever you next wherever you are whether you're stranded or you're not stranded let's do it yeah
1: so. stranded that's the word that we're using double quotes i'm stranded yeah. here yeah
2: that's it <laughs> <laughs> yeah feel bad for me i'm in a cool <laughs> yeah. city you're gonna yes, eat good food and see yeah. things so awesome well to everybody yeah thanks james for coming on always great to see you for I'll everybody in the back. chat uh Thank you for being here. Audio version will be out on all podcast providers and, uh, and yeah, that's it. Other than that, yeah, stay warm wherever you are in the country and enjoy the rest of your weekend. And yes, there must be some way out of here said the Joker through the tea, to the thief. And that is, ironically, what being welcomed by the machine. So take care, everybody. Thanks.